You're listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. Hi, and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. I'm your host, Amelia Morano-Williams, an editor at Stylus's U.S. office. Today, I'll be talking to Ana Flores, founder of We All Grow Latina, a network of young Latina creators and entrepreneurs. Ana was born in Houston, raised in El Salvador, and is now based in L.A. She started out as a TV producer, then segued into becoming a parenting blogger. And then in 2010, she founded a community to bring Latina bloggers together. And that's what's involved into We All Grow Latina, a digital and IRL community of thriving young women. The company has formed a flurry of partnerships with brands looking to reach this dynamic audience. Among them are HBO, Masterclass, and TurboTax. So she's perfectly placed to discuss how marketers can involve their engagement with Latinx communities and what brands need to know about today's young Latinx consumers. So welcome, Anna, and thank you so much for joining us. I'd love for you to start by telling us a little bit about the We All Grow Latina community. You know, who are your members? What do you provide for them? Who we are now has changed so much from the last almost 11 years now. We are definitely a lifestyle brand of thriving Latinas, of impactful Latinas. And what we do is that we elevate their voices and stories via the power of community. We connect Latinas with other Latinas. We connect Latinas with their own power. We connect Latinas with their inner knowing so that we can continue being the positive force uh, that we are in the society. You've also partnered with a huge range of brands. You know, we'd love to hear a little bit about how these partnerships work and examples of, you know, what a successful one looks like for your community. So actually, yeah. So going way back 10 years ago when we launched, when, well, I say we, but I actually launched the company on my own. It was Latina Bloggers Connect. It was it was me being a mom blogger at the, at the time with my laptop at home that decided that to be able to monetize my blog, which was the passion that what I wanted to continue doing, I had been working in the TV industry for 15 years before that, always in the Hispanic industry, creating content by and for Latinos. And I wanted to continue doing this because I saw in digital media that this is where our voices would be democratized. But for us to be able to tell our stories and, and, and have our stories be told by us and for us, we needed to monetize, right? And this was a industry that I saw shaping before my eyes. So I launched the very first network to connect Latina bloggers with brands. It was called Latina Bloggers Connect. We now know that industry as influencer marketing, but in 2010, Instagram didn't even exist. So influencer marketing wasn't a thing. It was really difficult for us to really explain what we did, right? And at the end of the day, it was that it was a blogger network where we connected with brands. And in our case, we were the first ones really helping brands reach directly the Hispanic consumers via Latinas, via the women that are already creating content that that we know matters to us and that people are engaging with organically. So from the very beginning, it was, it was, it was helping the brands understand how to make, how to make their 
marketing and advertising campaigns really be relatable to this consumer by making it in culture, right? It's not always about the language. And that's a very big mistake that marketers make and assume that to reach the Latino community, you just have to be able to do it in Spanish and that's going to be okay. And it's not especially with the younger generation. So we started partnering with brands. Our very first brand, the month that I launched was Sprint. And then it was Neutrogena and McDonald's and you know Universal. And it just started like really scaling and growing really quickly. We know now that brands need to reach us in a very authentic way in the places that feel safe to us and that matter to us. So come to us and find those places. And that is what we have created, a safe space where we gather, where we are able to then partner with brands to help them understand how to talk to us in a meaningful way in the place where we're already at. Are there any sort of methods of brands, you know, talking to this community that you have found particularly effective? I mean, you mentioned the fact that just using language doesn't work, which is quite obvious, but you know, like what are some of these nuances that you see working well? Well, the first thing I think is to dismantle what, it, thankfully, we've been hearing a lot in the last few years, especially after the election last year, and that we're not a monolith, right? We've been screaming that to, to, the, to the universe for the last 10 years, but we are not a monolith. So it's, there is no one strategy to reach all Latinos. Latinos on the East Coast are definitely going to be a lot more Caribbean. So you're going to have a lot more representation also of Afro-Latina, Black, Latinx, right? You're going to have a lot more first generation if you're going, if you're targeting Miami, if you're targeting Florida, then you definitely want to do it in Spanish. You're going to have a lot more Mexican American if you're targeting the, you know, Texas and the West Coast and South Central States. So it really is understanding who your audience is, who your ideal profile is, and what matters to them. And that it's also going to, to have to do with the segmentation of like I was saying, are they first generation? Are they are they second generation, third generation? What is their level of acculturation? And what are the things that matter right, to that specific segment of the population? And especially if we start segmenting down by age. So that's the first place to start. And then the the other strategy is really to listen because I don't think we do that enough as in marketing, right? And that's exactly what marketing is supposed to be about. But we listen a lot to the data. But what about the individual stories, right? And that's what I feel really that our success has been because when we started 10 years ago, there was no data on Latinas. There was no data on actual Latinas and our, our consumer, our power as consumers, our power as voters, et cetera. All of that really started coming forth and around, I believe it was 2012 when Nielsen put out the first Latina report that really for us validated what we knew anecdotally because we are part of the community. We are the community and we listen to them and we do deep listening every single day. So it is about reaching out as marketers to the right organizations and the right companies that are, are already doing the work within the communities, whether it is locally grassroots level or at a digital level as we are, where we're able to get really granular. Yeah, that's excellent. When we were doing our research for our recent you know, macro report series on Latinx Americans and especially marketing to them, we came across some really interesting examples from Tecate where they were going you know, to the local areas. So looking at like Tejano musicians for their Texas campaign or Chicano musicians for their California campaign, which I think is such a great contextual idea that 
for some reason gets lost when we talk about this, but I think most Americans, you know, regardless of their heritage would realize that this is a very regional, a regional thing that brands should be focusing on. Yeah, our music taste varies a lot, right? The food that we eat varies a lot. And there can even be, if we if we focus on, okay, are we going to use the Spanish to reach it? Even the Spanish language has deep nuances, right? And what can mean candy in one place can be a sexual organ in another place or right? in another country. So it is, it, we have to be very careful in, in how we approach that. But I, I love that example from the Tecate because I think it also falls into, into this knowing that we have, and I think it's also part of the report, that we want to be seen and we want to be heard. And it really is, we, we're tired of screaming out. We're, we're tired of waving our arms. I mean, like, see us, see us, see us. I mean, we're, we know we are spending um, the money. We understand our power now and are ready to use it and, and, and have been using it in many ways. And what we're saying now is that is if you want to be part of this and see us and hear us and show up where we are at, and then we can play. Another thing that we discussed when we talked to you while researching our series on Latinx consumers is the insights into how Latinx today are embracing and claiming their heritage. And you mentioned that this has really shifted in the past five years or so. Can you explain more about what you're seeing in this regard and how the shift has occurred? I mean, we mentioned a little bit just now, but like what really has happened for people to embrace this more? Well, you know what? It is no coincidence that it ha- has happened in the last five years or so because it was a time when we were part of the resistance, right? Where the oppression that we've always lived in, the systemic oppression, was made very clear when um, our past president announced he was running for presidency by attacking a segment of our community. And by him saying Mexicans, we know that he means anybody who is. Latinx was not from here. So we all took it to heart. And I think it's it's that moment when you start seeing when you're being attacked and, and you notice that what is being attacked is what you love the most and is what represents you the most. And that where you're being othered is where you feel pride. And I, we see, especially with the younger communities that were not afraid to speak up and activism became so loud that that same voice of activism needs to start spreading trickling all over, you know, thanks to social media, thanks to the positive and beautiful way to be able to use this medium, right, to spread these type of messages where people just started feeling very connected to their culture. And and instead of hiding, saying, I'm not going to be hiding anymore, I'm going to put it front and center. And then we saw a lot of businesses that were launching that were centering Right, products for women, for for Latinas with curly hair, products for melanated skins, products for T-shirts, all the loud T-shirts, right, with all the slogans of "I am Latina is my superpower," "I am Latina," you know, and everything that that would say loudly, "This is who I am, and this is what I represent." And not only am I going to say, say it, but I'm going to make a business around it because now we know that we are ready also to support each other. If we now understand the power that we have as consumers and where we have been putting those dollars, we are now aware that we can put those dollars back into the community and continue supporting each other and building those brands and building those businesses and building those companies from the ground up 
that already represent us, where we don't have to be doing that work, right? Because we are already being represented. And that's a beauty. We've been seeing that. I mean, we, again, launched the company in 2010. Two years prior to that, I had launched my blog called Spanglish Baby. And it was for parents raising bilingual and bicultural kids. And what I was doing was raising that flag, was raising the flag saying, no, we are being told that our children are going to be damaged because they, they're learning a second language from birth. When, at the, when it actually is one of the best skills that they can have for the 20, 21st century skill and beyond, right? So why are we being told this? Why are we being told to assimilate when our culture is definitely what we should be celebrating and wanting to continue nurturing? And from launching that 10 year, 12, 12 years ago and seeing the lack of medium like books and shows and um, toys and et cetera that I had for my daughter at the time to be able to raise her bilingual and bicultural to where what I see now is an incredible shift, right? And that is happening from within. That is happening from us demanding and from us moving from, from just passive consumers and demanding to be seen to actually being the creators and the builders of that capitalism. And so looking to the future as Gen Z become adults, you just mentioned that they were you know, quite activist when previous president was attacking the Latinx community. As demographics change further, how do you think these attitudes and mindsets around cultural identity and heritage will continue to evolve? I think that we're going to, we are going to continue exploring our identity and that's already happening within the, the Latinx community. Even the term Latinx is continuing to evolve and is always controversial, which I don't understand. I mean, that's a term that I, I that we prefer to use and will continue to use out of respect. And but it, that also evolves, right? And and it evolves. I I it, it continues to evolve as the actual borders with Latin America also continue to be blurred, and that's a bridge that. We are very excited to to continue to explore and to want to create even more bridges between Latin America and us and how we can and how we can continue creating together in a way. And also I see this evolving into we keep saying that we're not homogeneous, right? But then how do we identify, right? And what happens is when you are in Latin America. I was Salvadorian, you're Salvadoreña, right? I'm, you're Salvadorian, you're Mexican, you're Bolivian, you're Brazilian. And so it's when you come here that you then become part of this larger community of Latinx of everything that unites us. But there's so many other things that make us unique. I think that's where it's going to continue to evolve. It's an understanding that uniqueness that every, um, and then intersectionalities that exist within the umbrella of being Latinx and how we self-identify and allow people to do that, allow people to own their identity and to be in Latino and to be in this 200% Latinx American and everything that comes with that. And yeah, I, I, that's that's one of, one of the biggest ways where I see that evolving and being more complicated for marketers, actually. Um, right? It's that segmentation, but it really is where we see that success is going to happen. I think actually in many respects, I find it very surprising that marketers overall haven't really caught on to the fact that there are, you know, so many cultural nuances there. As we mentioned earlier, just keeping up with the language seems very very simple, but even thinking about sort of the different ways to embed cultural fluency into marketing campaigns seems like there's so much more to evolve and obviously so many people working to support that, which is really exciting. 
And so as far as your community of entrepreneurs and creators goes, you know, there's a huge amount of entrepreneurialism in the Latinx community, especially among younger women. So how would you describe the mindset of the Latinas in your community? Oh, gosh, the mindset. <laughs> We're, it's just so powerful. I mean, it's a mindset of, of, you know, we've always had to, we've always had to get things done. So even, you know, my business launched in 2010. And as I said earlier, but the, it, it came, it was something that flowed out of the blog that I had, which was launched in 2009 in the middle of the recession. And many of these businesses that we're talking about, Latin entrepreneurs were creating businesses that have four, it flows now between four to six times because of the new data coming in with the recession, with, the, with COVID, the pandemic. But we're still launching businesses at a much higher rate than any other cohort. And really, I know that these, that these numbers are going to just increase, even though we're seeing such, we're focusing on the, on the negative data that's coming out of all the businesses that are being closed, right? Because that is a reality. On the other hand, I know that because we're, we've always had an entrepreneurial spirit, we're always the people out in the street selling the flowers, selling the fruit, selling the something, but getting it done, right? That's always been in our nature. And the harder, the, the tougher the times get, the more resilient we, because we are built to be resilient, we, the more creative we become in how we're going to survive, but beyond survive, thrive. And I am seeing right now, even though the news is feeding us all these negative stories and all this data of women being, you know, Black and Latina women being out of, out of work the most and closing businesses, and they know it's a reality. But my reality, the women that I am seeing around me and that I am seeing in the community are thriving because they've been able to understand how to get back up and how to pivot and how to use that resiliency muscle and to continue carving their path. And we're creating things that are unique. We're creating things that have never been seen before. We're creating new flavors, new ways to live, new, you know, new ways to move and to see the world. And that's very exciting. Yeah, we were so struck by some of the stats around Latinx entrepreneurialism when we were doing our research, just some really encouraging ones we came across, like Latinx-owned businesses grew 34% over the past decade versus just 1% for all other small businesses, which is just incredible. Yet we also, yeah, agree that there's, you know, so many roadblocks right now. And I think that's actually a really interesting opportunity for brands to, you know, come in and offer support because it really goes beyond just the pandemic. Um, and I think I was reading recently an interview that you did previously where you mentioned that uh, there's only... 1% of all Latinx businesses reach a million dollars of revenue, which is incredible. There's no reason that, you know, we can't have more catalysts and access to money so these brands can create more opportunities. Latina-founded businesses, right? And so I was going to say, yes, it's it's super encouraging to see the rate of how quickly we're growing, how quickly we're building businesses. But it's really interesting to understand the disparity then with the funding, because we're still we still don't have access to funding. Those in the VC realm that are going after VC funding, we're like at 0.4% women that are actually receiving funding that are Latinas. The same goes for marketing campaigns. I mean, we're starting to slightly see an increase in marketing campaigns from the last year. And every, I think, you know, definitely the social unrest has a lot to do with that and brands understanding that they need to invest more. But it's traditionally been around 10% of the overall marketing campaign dollars to around 10% go to multicultural marketing. Multicultural marketing is not just Latinx. It is 
African-American, it is LGBTQ, it is AAPI, you know, it encompasses a lot. So it ends up trickling down to a company like mine, maybe creating the same type of marketing strategies in a similar non-Latinx owned company are the disparity, the range of what we have access to as far as marketing dollars is huge. Whereas we are reaching this consumer directly. And when you're reaching a Latinx consumer, you're reaching gay Latinas, <laughs> queer Latinas, you're reaching Asian Latinas, you're reaching black Latinas, you're reaching white Latinas, you're reaching across the board, right? So that is another thing to, to, to also keep in mind. But, but the, the last point I wanna make about that is that as we're talking with, with brands and with companies, it's not only where are we putting our dollars and how we're marketing and where we're, we're supporting that, but if we really wanna support the e ecosystem of Latino, Latinx entrepreneurs and beyond, then let's also support those vendors. Let's also reach out and work with companies like ours, right? Not just building out the multicultural team, but what does that really look like when you go beyond and you invest in the designers that are part of the community, the producers that are part of the community, the, the all the different production companies and all different vendors that you need to work with. How can you continue working with that so that you also are protecting yourself from understanding that every step along the pipeline of your production of what you're creating in your campaign is being, you know, seen, heard, felt, understood by different people within that community that can help along the way. It goes back to the intersectionality that you mentioned earlier, which is yeah, all related. And are there any recent startups that you've noticed from Latinx founders that have really caught your attention? Oh my goodness, so many. <laughs> so many. And let me see. I mean, because it's see, we we see everything from from tech startups to beauty brands being launched and they're, I mean, they're they're just across the board, so many. One of the ones that I actually recently you know, invested a tiny bit in as part of a equity crowdfunding campaign is called Bloomy. And it's a marketplace, it's a sexual marketplace. And, but it's, it's founded, it's, there's two co-founders and one of them, Rebecca is, is a sex therapist and she's found, she, so her vision is to have like the largest marketplace, you know, the Amazon of intimate product for, for females. So everything from like your period panties to your sexual toys, et cetera. But it's, it's, and the way that she's doing it's also around knowledge and information and empowerment for women, right? Around the topic, which is, especially within the Latinx community has been taboo. So this is a huge huge marketplace, a huge segment of the market that has been underserved traditionally, especially for, for directly by women for women, and especially within the Latinx community. So I'm very excited about what she's doing and, and the level of, of growth that, that they're having and that they were super successful with their equity crowdfund campaign. And, and, and that's actually so somewhere where I, where I see a lot of opportunity for Latinx founders and equity crowdfunding, which is still rel relatively new. And I see a lot of, it, it, it excites me to be able for us to be able to support these type of companies as they start growing. Excellent. Yeah, I have to say we recently uh, published a series of reports that was looking very broadly at how, you know, the conversation around sexual health is changing so rapidly. So it seems like a very interesting connection. And I love the uh, cultural element coming in there as well, because obviously there's just so many different ways people have to talk about sex and taboo topics. So excellent. 
And so we end every episode with three rapid fire questions. And the first one is what's the best business or career advice you've ever been given? To ask for help. And what's a consumer problem or challenge you don't think has been successfully solved yet? How to reach Latinx consumers. <laughs> Excellent. And which individuals or brands do you look for for inspiration in your work? Mm. Well, inspiration, I, I mean, I, it, it feels like so stereotypical and everybody's going to say Oprah, but she's Oprah. I mean, she just keeps doing it right. And for what we do, she's just such, she's, she's been the one who's, who's paved the way. Excellent. Well, on that note, I would like to thank my guest, Ana Flores, for joining us. And I would like to thank you all for listening. If you're a member of Stylist and want to dive deeper into any of the topics that we discussed today, you can access our report series, Lens on America's Latinx Consumers on Stylist.com right now. And I hope you'll join us next time for more future thinking from Stylist. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylist the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. And if you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available.